Been quite some time since I honestly ever believed that we could beat Alabama in the sport of football. And we had them by the throats, backed them up on the ropes, but we came up short in the biggest moment on the first play of the fourth quarter. Arkansas is unranked after being ranked in the top 10 two weeks ago. We can't say we didn't have opportunities to beat the Tide because we definitely had our shots, but we just failed to execute them. But this loss just proved that we need the Texas A&M win extremely badly. Trey Biddy touched on that and his walk and talk, and I completely agree. Did this loss suck? Absolutely. Is the season over? Absolutely not. Not even freaking close. We're 3-2. and two. We still got plenty of opportunities to get back on track, finish the season strong, and prove to the country and ourselves that the first three games of the season were not flukes. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, episode siete. I'm getting it right this week. In this podcast, we provide all information vital to the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country. Top two, not two, and that's the 12. In this podcast, we preview and recap weekly matchups, provide recruiting updates, and more updates on professional hogs across whatever sport it is you may follow. It's honestly amazing how badly Arkansas fans handle adversity. I thought last week was bad. This week's worse. I mean, two losses and everyone's just ready to jump ship, blow the whole thing up, fire the coaches, tell the players at the portal, all that crap. We're even bashing players, believing we aren't as good as we thought we were, thinking we're overrated. John Morant, point guard from the Memphis Grizzlies, once said, if you switched up, just stay on that side. That applies to about 75% of Hog fans who, when the going gets tough, just decide to bash the program and facing any type of adversity but then turn around, they're the biggest Hawk fans ever when things are going well. Hell, about 20% of the fans are left before halftime. Just shows the lack of fanhood by some of these people, and it pisses me off more than it probably should. And honestly, imagine how it makes the players and coaches feel seeing fans leave early once adversity hits. If you believe in Pittman, then you believe we, sh- we can still have a great season. We've had an opportunity to win every single game this season, which is something we haven't been able to say in years past. So if anyone listening to the show is one of the fans that will turn your back on the Hogs when the going gets tough, you're not welcome back. Just go ahead and click out of the pod. Stick with the program through the good times and the bad because it makes success that much sweeter. How good did it feel finishing the season winning four of our last five after losing three in a row? It felt good. But I feel like a broken record talking about this, but we all know Pittman's raised the standard of this program. He's got the fan base and team believing that we should have beat Bama on Saturday, which is something many of us had never thought in years. Being down 28-0, to 99% of Arkansas teams would have flat out given up at halftime or just given up when we were down four scores. But nope, not at all. This group showed some fight. They put their heads down fought back in this game, and gave ourselves an opportunity to take the lead, which just speaks volumes to the players' belief in Sam and his message, his vision for the program. And while the scoreboard said differently, scoring 23 unanswered points on Alabama is a pretty impressive feat. It just proves that we can compete with anybody in the country. But like I've said before, three words cure everything. Just win Saturday. A win Saturday against a newly ranked Mississippi State bunch puts the Hogs right back on track, likely back in the top 25. We're about to find out Saturday what this team is made of because we're not making up the potential that we have, and we're going to have to make a freaking statement in Starkville. 
I 100% believe that we can continue our success against the Bulldogs. We're 2-0 in the last two seasons. Shut Brandon Walker's fat ass the hell up and get the W on Saturday and go on a tear the rest of the season. Why I believe that is, let's get to my view on it. See, everybody stay on that side when they switched up. You switched up, stay on that side, man. All right, recapping the Bama matchup. Yes, it's Alabama. And they might have just proved to the country on Saturday that they're the best team in the country after Georgia's scare against Missouri. I don't know how that happened. But come on. Four scores is a massive hole to climb out of against anybody, and especially Alabama. I mean, I thought I thought we were about to set the tone, honestly, after we picked off Bryce Young on their first drive of the game. But two blinks later, it's 14-0. to We flat out played scared in the first half, and it was pretty evident on both sides of the ball. I don't care who we're playing. You have to play four quarters of football to give yourself the best opportunity to win. We didn't wake up till about one minute left in the first half, and then we, by that point we'd already put ourselves behind by four scores. But like I talked about earlier in that same instance, we could have just tucked our tails, laid down, not fought back, and the game could have been 56 or 60-0. to zero. Now talk about deflation, what that would have been. But that court, third quarter was one of the most electric quarters of football I've ever been a part of in my entire life. The stadium was hopping. The place was loud. The players were flying around, hitting people, playing with crazy energy, and Bama was clearly rattled. I mean, you could tell they were rattled. In that same instance, we proved to ourselves that we can fight back against anyone. I mean, 23 unanswered against Alabama is a pretty impressive feat. And I can't tell you when it was or where I was or the period of time it was where I actually believed in my mind and my heart that we were going to beat Alabama in a game of football. You know, last year, sure, it was close. But we were playing from behind the whole time, you know, similar to this game. But I never really thought that we were going to win. I, I thought we might have a chance. But when we had the Tide backed up inside their own 20, facing a third and 15, holding them to one yard of total offense in the third quarter, and this was heading into the fourth quarter, I believed in my heart that we were going to win the football game, that we were going to get a stop, we were going to go score, and we we're about to be leading 30-28 to 28 against Alabama. I truly did. Then it all unfolded right in front of our eyes in what seemed like 30 seconds. To beat Bama, I mean, Bama's going to have to help you beat them. And they, in every way, they did on Saturday. They fumbled three times, threw an interception, missed a field goal, their first field goal of the year. Had damn near snapped it in the student section on a punt inside the red zone. They lost their starting quarterback, and they were the more penalized team. Hogs failed to capitalize, but we'll touch on this later in the episode. Once again, I'll reiterate, we play 12 games a year for a reason. And we still have every opportunity in the world to win more games this year than we did last year. Now, for the positive takeaways from the game, offensively, Rocket Sanders is a dog. I mean, that guy is a beast. The amount of yards after contact he generates is insane. He runs harder than any hog running back I can remember for a long time. Refuses to go down on initial contact. Does everything in his absolute power to get extra yards. 22 carries, 101 yards, one touchdown against a run defense that hadn't given up a solid rushing performance all season. Speaks volume to the type of talent we got in number five. Sure, Dominion fumbled. I'm not worried about the fumble, really, because it was as he was going down, ball slipped out. You can have your own opinion on it, but I have mine. I'm not worried about the fumble. He's going to be really good for us. That youngster knows how to make cats miss him in the open field. We got a lot of faith in him playing him as a true freshman. And also, his pass pro was really critiqued in fall camp, and it looked pretty good on Saturday. And all in all, our run game is just not the issue. It's very, very good. We tripled what Bama allows per game on the ground by running for 187 yards on Saturday on 51 carries. As long as we keep attacking teams on the ground and make the defense respect the run, Cage is going to have enough room to throw it and open up passing lanes over the top. In the episode leading up to the Missouri State game, I honestly was worried about Keetron Jackson. I was worried he was going to leave. He 
probably was pretty frustrated with his role. Wasn't getting a whole lot of snaps, wasn't getting any targets. The production was down. But he gave us a little bit of a glimpse and potential against Missouri State with his bomb he caught and then A&M with his 32-yard touchdown. But after Saturday, sheesh. He got the player comp of C.D. Lamb coming out of high school, and I believe it. Number two is a damn good football player. And he proved on Saturday he needs a football more. Four catches, 48 yards, one touchdown. What was most impressive to me was his ability to make catches, contested catches. So he had guys draped all over him. He had two first down catches in the second half, both with Bama DBs all over him. But the most impressive was going across the middle of the field, reached up, snagged it over a Bama defender, came down with it. I think it all kind of took us back. We didn't know he had that in him. I hope he can continue a solid play because right now it only seems like him and Jaden Hazelwood are the only wide receivers that can get open and make tough catches. Hazelwood had, I believe, six catches on Saturday. I'm still wondering where the hell Warren Thompson and Matt Landers are. I know Warren Thompson's hurt, but Matt Landers had all this praise and practice, but hell, it could have been just the DBs he was going up against. I don't know. Matt Landers had a lot of potential. We threw a nice little go route to him down the left sideline on Saturday. It went through his hands, unfortunately, but I think he's going to step up for us and get in the end zone for his first time as a hog at some point. And while Will Anderson... He had a good game, six tackles, one-and-a-half tackles for loss, and half a sack. He wasn't as big of a factor as he normally would be in a game. Luke Jones did a good job on him. Trey Knox, he only had one catch, but Trey Knox stayed in and blocked really, really well and was able to give us solid pass protection on the edge with chipping or just staying in a double team with Luke Jones. It was, you know, that, that A lot of that stuff goes unnoticed, but positive takeaways, there's not many Positive takeaways from the side of the football. There never really is. But our D-line's still still doing well enough in my eyes. Yes, it was a season-long sacks, but Bryce Young didn't have a ton of time to throw the football, and we forced him outside the pocket a decent amount of times. And we forced Jalen Milrow, their backup, to rush out of the pocket more times than fans probably realized. And while we can always blame the refs, I didn't really see this till after the game, and the game would have finished up if the ref would have opened his eyes and saw Jordan Dominic getting his, his jersey held, then his face mask held, on Milrow's 77-yard run, which is the biggest gut punch of arguably the century. And sure, while some may disagree, our secondary didn't play terribly. And yeah, they got exposed a couple times, but they didn't play that bad. We picked off Bryce Young once, only allowed 238 yards passing in total. Bryce Young only had 175. This is a season low for Alabama. Dwight McLaughlin, though, that's a, that dude's a good cornerback. Ran stride for stride with every Bama receiver. They tried to take numerous deep shots on him and did what you need to do. Ran stride for stride with him. Turned his head on the football and not the football down. Can't really ask much more. And he looks like he's having fun out there doing it. I'm a big fan of Nudie. Lastly, Hawk fans got a little sneaky peek into the future at linebacker. That onside kick, y'all see Jordan Crook and Poopal? Boys could flat out hit folks. I don't know how you miss it. That onside kick, they couldn't have cleared out the front line more clearly. It absolutely annihilated Bama's front line. Number 11 for Alabama's head is in freaking Lavaca. Pooh drilled his ass. All right, areas of improvement. You know, there's just so much fun talking about. But offensively, we've got to put together solid drives for more than just one quarter. Empty possessions killed us Saturday, and we have to eliminate or at least limit those. Our passing offense wasn't great. We all know it. And honestly, it hasn't looked great all year outside of the Missouri State, outside of the Missouri State and Cincinnati game. KJ was extremely inconsistent in the first half, and it almost seemed like he was just aiming throws to not get picked off instead of just cutting the thing loose. We all know he has a big arm. He overthrew some receivers, and then he dropped back to pass. There'd be a dig route. He threw it three yards short. It's just frustrating. You know, you don't. Even, you have to give your chance, your receiver a chance to 
catch the football. And by throwing it outside of the catch radius, you're not allowing them to do that. It's kind of showing that you're scared if you're shorting a five-yard dig. I mean, that's just flat out aiming the ball, not throwing it. KJ had his lowest com- completion percentage since last year against AM. He went 13 of 24 for 155 yards and one touchdown. And yes, we've seen KJ being an elite thrower of the football before, and I think he can turn it around. But we can believe it all we want to. We just have to see it on Saturday. We all know he can air it out. He can throw a deep ball with the absolute best of them. But it's the digs, the slants, the the fades, the tough outs. He's got to he's got to come into his own and make those throws. He's done it before. He's got to do them again. And I think he'll have the opportunity to on Saturday if he's healthy. There's rumors he does have mild symptoms of a concussion. If that's the case, we might see Cade Fortin or Malik Hornsby. But we'll touch on that in a little bit. As for the empty possessions, this goes hand in hand with quick offensive drives. And yes, while I love our tempo, if we don't get a five to six yard gain on first or second down, we don't have to hurry it up, get back to the line of scrimmage, run a play because drive might have lasted 45 seconds. And our defense would have had time to go over, get a swig of water, and then boom, they're out on the field again. Our offense, it either feels like we just we score or the offense just stalls out in like less than a minute. We just have to start our drives better. My good buddy Aaron Rosenthal made a solid point on these empty possessions and kind of sparked my idea of it and just talked about our offensive possessions in general. He said Cam Little is a weapon. Three points is a lot better than none. Completely agree with him wholeheartedly. This means we need to be more efficient offensively and get ourselves in scoring territory. If it means we don't put six points on the board, I mean, look at last year, 45 field goals. You go to the A&M game last year, he kicked two. You go to the Mississippi State game last year, he kicked two or three. Same with LSU, he kicked two or three. I don't. He hasn't kicked very many at all this year. Goes back to my point earlier about where we either score a touchdown, excuse me, or we punt it away. We don't ever get in the field goal range, really, it seems like. And I feel like play calling is always a topic of interest, but Browse makes us scratch our head with some play calls, but regardless, our offense the past three years has been some of the best we've seen in a long time. All of us can agree with that. If you don't, you're stupid. However, in the postgame press conference, Pittman said, we are a one-dimensional football team. We can't just turn around, hand the ball off, and beat teams, end quote. I understand that running the football physically is our identity, but we've got weapons everywhere. We have a solid tight end, wide receiver turn tight end that's very rangy, not your average tight end. He can run block. He can You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up out wide. You can run screens for him. We got, I mean, if you even want to count the freshmen, we got about eight guys you could throw the football to that all have big playability. We got weapons everywhere. We just got to be better about tacking defense through the air and getting vertical. We saw more of that last year than we have this year, especially against Alabama. Whenever we threw the, the ball past the sticks on Saturday, good things happen. Go back to the Missouri State game. Sure, it's Missouri State. You can argue that elsewhere. But when we attacked their corners and went vertical, we got down the field in the heartbeat and scored. But mainly here, I'm just referring to games where we had to throw the ball more than others. Like South Carolina, we didn't have to throw the ball much. But Yo, you get what I'm saying. State's just going to load the box and force us to beat them throwing the football. And if KJ's out there, we all know he's 100% got the ability and potential to do so. He shows he can do it before, and I can point to numerous games that he has. But most importantly, we need him healthy for Saturday. Or we're either going to see, like I said earlier, Cade Fortin or Malik Hornsby, and if that's the case, State's 100% going to be stacking the box. Lastly, we have to capitalize on turnovers. Razorbacks need to win the turnover battle. And we got nothing out of our interception on Bama's first drive. And all three times Bama put the ball on the ground, we didn't pounce on it. If we're going to, if the Razorbacks are going to give up chunk plays and struggle to get off the field on third down, we have to, we have to be able to balance that out 
and counter that by forcing takeaways at a higher rate. Defensively, while I like to bring four and blitz Drew Sanders when we need to, we're going to have to revert back to our picket fence defense or at least start implementing it again or the bend but don't, don't break defense, whatever you want to call it, because we don't have the guys to run man-to-man as much as we do, and we've <laughs> flat-out proved that to ourselves. Yes, our defense held Bama to one yard in the fourth quarter. Sure, that's a positive, and it's pretty impressive. But we gave up 233 yards rushing on the ground in the fourth quarter. And the big biggest gut punch of the day, and maybe this, maybe in a long time, was that 77-yard on third and 15. Yes, we touched on it earlier. There were some penalties that were missed on that play, but even then we were still in the game. But the next two 70-plus-yard touchdown runs by Jameer Gibbs were completely unacceptable. That was more embarrassing than the third and 15, even though the third and 15 probably took it out of us completely. But defensively, areas improvement going forward, you have to limit big plays. You have to. Alabama had nine plays of 15 yards or more. On Milrow's run, we schemed it perfectly. We rushed four. Bumper was supposed to be the spy, but he was in awful position. He missed the tackle because he was playing on the line of scrimmage. You don't do that as a spy. When you're a spy, you play at normal linebacker depth. Then you he gets about 10 yards down the field, and Jane Johnson looks like Santos Ramirez on a ru- or overrunning a play. That's oh, frustrating. I mean, on Jameer Gibbs' first touchdown run, we also missed a tackle at the line of scrimmage that might have held the play for no gain. When we stat the box like we did on the final two possessions, it – Leaves our linebackers and secondary on an island after make tackles in the open field. And that's something we flat out struggle with, as we all know. Must be listening to the podcast because he said, we seem to say it every week, but we have to eat up space better and tackle better. It's a pretty good podcast to listen to. I don't blame him for listening to it. Another reason why I believe we need to go back into our zone defense is that the zone limits big plays, ultimately. We played a quarterback in Bryce Young Saturday that that made us pay for blown coverages and... He did just that. Will Rogers will absolutely do the same if we blow coverages and man-to-man against State on Saturday. And Bama was 9 for 14 on third downs. That is, oh, that's bad. That is really bad. And they honestly could have been about 11 for 14 if they could catch the damn football. But regardless, a continual struggle all year in getting teams off the field on third downs. And special teams, I don't know how many times I have to freaking say it. Max Fletcher, get that guy off the field. Get him off. The, this guy can't punt. I mean, good award. Bama had the ball at worst, a 35-yard line. They have probably the best punt return in the country in Kool-Aid McKinnistry. He got more than enough time and more than enough room to work with when Max Fletcher's back there shanking punts. Oh, my God. I'm not talking about this anymore. I said it before. We win as a team. We lose as a team. This entire team has improving to do from the coaches down to the players. And the Razorbacks played our best quarter of football the entire season in that third quarter Saturday, which shows we that we did make adjustments at halftime and improved on last week in terms of coming out in the second half. One way to look at it is that we haven't put together a full four quarters of production yet this season, and we're still three and two. Just imagine what happens once we start clicking on all cylinders. I say it a lot, but Mississippi State game determines... All right, previewing Saturday's matchup on the road at Mississippi State. It's 11 a.m. game, Hawks' first road game of this season. And, yes, the Razorbacks and Pittman, we've had success against Mississippi State in years past. We're 2-0 against Mike Leach and the Bulldogs, and Pittman got his first win in Starkville back in 2020. Hogs won a throw last year where you know old Mississippi State just had the old shanks back there at kicker. But because of the Hawks' recent success, it's all the more fuel for the Bulldogs on Saturday. First off, the last thing I want to hear is Brandon Walker's dumbass. 
We live in that man's head rent-free, and I can't wait to build another duplex in it after the Hogs win on Saturday. More importantly, Mississippi State's now ranked 23rd in the AP poll, coming off a massive 42-24 to win over A&M, where they honestly just whipped the Aggies from start to finish. State runs the air raid, and they use tempo with it, which is, in my opinion, one of the hardest op- offenses to stop when it's operating on all cylinders. They don't hide what they're going to do offensively. They're going to run the football sparingly every now and then, but they're going to throw it anywhere from 40 to 60 times per game. Arkansas did well against it in the first half last year, but we really struggled in the second half to defend it, and it almost cost us the game. We face an absolute gunslinger on Saturday. Will Rogers thrown for 1,700 yards on 171 for 234 passes, which is 46 passes per game, 73% completion percentage. He's thrown for 19 touchdowns and three interceptions. Like I said, they throw it, and they throw it often. They're not hiding it. Now, the one thing about Will Rogers, his longest run on the season is six yards. He's not a runner by any means. He's more likely to throw the ball away than take off and run. He'll sit in the pocket for as long as he can, waits for plays to develop, goes through every progression. He's a very patient quarterback. Due to that, it's led to him being sacked 10 times this season. This will be one of the more dynamic offenses Arkansas faces probably the whole season. They average about 440 yards per, of total offense per game, 37 points per game, convert 46% of their third downs, they're 28 of 61, 67% of their fourth downs are 6 of 9. Mike Leach and Wayne Kiffin both got these similarities about them where they're not afraid to roll the dice, say the least, and go for it on fourth down, like three to four possessions in a row. Now, rushing-wise, <clears throat> Mississippi State has two main backs they go with, which is Dylan Johnson and Joquavius Marks. Dylan Johnson's rushed the ball 50 times for 302 yards and one touchdown this season, while Marks has rushed 36 times for 130 or 193 yards and four touchdowns. They don't hang their hat on run the football, and they really haven't ever under leech, but they run the ball better this year than they have in years past. That's how they scored early on LSU. Joquavius Marks got loose on LSU a few times because LSU was so focused on the pass. Now, receiving-wise, I mean, good Lord, I don't know who hadn't caught a pass from this team. The managers probably got two catches, but they spread the ball out a ton. They have five guys with 20-plus catches on the season, and here they are. Rob Rod Thomas, 20 catches, 359 yards, three touchdowns. It's about 18 yards per catch. 100% Will Rogers' favorite vertical threat. Caleb Ducking, 24 catches, 272 yards, and six touchdowns. Averages about 11.3 yards per catch. He's their red zone target. He's 6'5", 220, big body guy they like to throw it up to. Rufus Harvey, I like that name, Rufus. 24 catches, 230 yards, and two touchdowns, around 9.5 yards per catch. They love to split this guy out wide. He's more of a, more of a, uh, more of a speedster, kind of has a Sky Moore build if I, had to, if I had to compare him to anyone. They love to split him out wide, bring him in motion towards the line of scrimmage, and then send him straight up the seam. This is what the New England Patriots did back in the AFC Championship against the Kansas City Chiefs back in 2018, I believe. They did it with Julian Edelman <clears throat> time and time again, and it works pretty well. Next is Weediatric Griffin. He's got 20 catches for 206 yards and one touchdown in the season. It's about 10 yards per catch. And then Dylan Johnson, he's also their running back. He leads Mississippi State in catches. He has 25 catches for 150 yards, no touchdowns. He's got about six yards per catch. I view Dylan Johnson how... Bama used Jameer Gibbs, so they like to line him up at wide receiver to maybe exploit some mismatches against linebackers, but hopefully we won't be manning up Dylan Johnson with our, any of our linebackers because we'll be in zone. 25 catches for this, or such a small yards per catch. He looks like to me he's a safety valve whenever Rodgers checks down. 
yes, it's only a small sample size of how many receivers are involved in this offense because Rodgers spreads it around a lot. I think they have at least 13 receivers that have caught a pass on this season, <clears throat> and all three have caught more than four. So Mississippi State's offensive line is very, very senior-led, I'd say. They have three grad transfers and two seniors. So it's another experienced group that the Hawks' front seven is going to be facing Saturday. They've given up some sacks this season. Mostly to LSU is the only team who really brought pressure against them. Will Rogers was sacked four times in that game, so four of their ten sacks on the season came to LSU. Say the least, passing attack like Mississippi State's, but I do think that we'll have more success against it than most Hawk, Hawk fans will probably predict, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But defensively, for Mississippi State, this is where the Hawks could have a lot, a lot of success. Mississippi State runs a three-three-five scheme. Sure, run a three-run against us. We're going to run down your throat. But with that three-three-five scheme, you can run a lot of sets out of it. More likely than not, they'll probably walk both outside linebackers down on the edge to give off a five-front, in quotes, bear look to stop the run against us with that middle backer spying on KJ, and they'll run man across the board after that. <clears throat> Defensively, they probably force more turnovers than any defense we've played this season. They've intercept, intercepted six passes on the season, forced four fumbles, recovering three. So ball security is an absolute must this game, like it always is. Emmanuel Forbes leads the Bulldogs with three interceptions, and Jet Johnson leads the defense with 46 tackles. Their leading sacker's name is Nathaniel Watson. They like to bring him off the edge a lot, 6'3", 245, big build, essentially a KJ-like build coming off the edge. My takeaway is, though, is that if we can move the ball on Bama, and against some of the defenses that we've played that are better than Mississippi State's, we should be able we should be able to against State. With that being said, we're going to have to sustain drives this week and keep that offensive State's off the field as long as possible. Give our defense as much rest as we can. All in all, every position group is going to be tested this week again, with our secondary being the most tested, and also with the latest news about Miles Slusher being. <laughs> All right, final thoughts and keys to victory for Saturday against Mississippi State. We all know what happened this past Saturday. There's no need to harp on it anymore. All we got to do is put together four full quarters of football, and I honestly believe we're going to win. Mississippi State has a lot of momentum right now, as they should. Most would see us as reeling, but the team's responded before, and we're going to do it again. This is exactly why I think we're going to catch them, because look at Mississippi State the past two seasons before they played us. They hung 600 yards of total offense on the defending national champions, LSU, got thrown to like 17th in the rankings. We play them at their place, and we shut them down entirely. Last year, they, I believe, beat Kentucky. And Kentucky went on to play in the Citrus Bowl. I believe it was Citrus Bowl last year. And won 10 games last year. They were a good football team. And we see how good they are this year. They roll into Fayetteville, Mississippi State does, and we held them to one of their lowest point totals of the season outside of when they got shut out by Bama. Once again, we all know the margin for error is extremely small. And Kendall Browse is one hell of an OC like I've talked about, but I expect the Hawks to dial it up a bit this week if KJ's back healthy. Everyone and their mom knows we can run the football well, but State hasn't faced an offense like ours all season. That's this dynamic with weapons all over the place. Once we establish the run game early like I know we're going to do, I'd like for us to be aggress aggressive through the air and test the secondary. We have to keep the defense guessing. We don't have to run it on obvious running downs, and we don't have to throw it on obvious passing downs. This Mississippi State defense is not that good. What a lot of people don't realize about the AM game, they'll just look at the score and assume that AM got their butt whooped. Well, AM had three trips inside the red zone, and they 
turned it over all three times. They threw an interception, fumbled twice. Then after that, the fourth possession, where they got relatively close to the red zone, they had a field goal blocked, and Mississippi State returned it for a touchdown. It's safe to say A&M moved the ball well on Mississippi State, and our offense is light years ahead of A&M's. Cut out the empty possessions, take shots when comfortable, but do everything in our power offensively just to stay ahead of the chains and keep our defense off the field and sustain some drives. Mississippi State's only played one dual-threat quarterback all year. Yeah, one dual-threat quarterback in Jaden Daniels from LSU, and he absolutely tore him up. And Jaden can't hold KJ's jockstrap. If KJ's healthy, he's balling Saturday. He's going to prove to everyone out there doubting him that he's for real. If not, then fans who would doubt KJ will get to see us without KJ and see how much we really do miss him, either be Cade Fortin or Malik Hornsby, which brings me to my next point. Cade Fortin... A lot of people don't know him. He came in at the end of the Alabama game, and a lot of people are wondering where the hell Malik Hornsby was. Malik Hornsby looked pretty dejected on the sideline, which I probably would be too. He didn't get in the game at all as a receiver or in garbage time as a quarterback. But Fortin is 6'3", 218-pound redshirt senior. He was a four-star recruit out of high school. Spent his first two years of college football at North Carolina Appeared in four games with two starts as a redshirt freshman in 2019. He was 23 for 65 with 388 yards passing. The next two seasons he spent were at South Florida, where he played five games last season, started two of them, and finished 25 for 48 for 182 yards. So yes, not eye-popping stats, but our staff believes in him enough to throw him in against Alabama on Saturday whenever KJ got hurt. And he honestly made some good throws Saturday, and I was pretty impressed with him. If we do see Fortin on Saturday and... For some reason, KJ's hurt and can't play. I honestly could see Bryles hopefully simplifying the game plan and just air it out more because we're going to run it. But with a guy like Cade Fortin who can't run like Malik or KJ, we're going to have to throw the ball a lot more. And if that's the case, it's Keytron Jackson breakout party. Give him and Jaden the ball and let them go make some plays. Now, if we see Hornsby, it's probably safe to say we're going to run the football. But I honestly think we'll see both of them if, worst-case scenario, KJ isn't able to play on Saturday. As long as we emphasize ball security – Stay north and south, keep our penalties down. We're going to score points on state. And that will be a key, honestly, taking the crowd out of this game in our first road game of the year because we all know what happened last year in our first road game. I, it didn't matter if that game was at 6 a.m. in the morning. Those Georgia fans brought it, and we looked like we had never seen <clears throat> a hostile environment in our entire life. But that's going to be different on Saturday. But one thing is true, two things for certain. I'm glad I don't have to hear any of those stupid-ass cowbells. Those things would make a those things would drive a deaf person insane. Defensively, we're going to have to make Will Rogers uncomfortable because my man looks like Joey with a bad back out there trying to escape some pressure. I mean, most would think I'd say our secondary is the key to victory, but honestly, it's our defensive line. The secondary is still, but we'll get to them in a second. The faster our defensive line controls the line of scrimmage, the shorter amount, the shorter amount of time our defensive backs are going to have to spend in coverage, which saves legs due to how thin our secondary is right now. Will Rogers is not very good on throwing on the run either, so any time he has to move outside the pocket is honestly a W in my book. And any time, I know it's a lot easier said than done, but any time you're going to force a quarterback that's right-handed to, to run outside the pocket and have to throw outside the pocket, force him to his left. No quarterback going left can just swing the ball back across the field or the right side of the field. We're going to have to play a lot of D-linemen this week and honestly keep them fresh because I assume we're going to be dropping six to eight in coverage if we do go with the zone defense, which means we're going to have three D-linemen working their tails off against five offensive linemen. It's time for the big boys up front to step up. As for the secondary, we just can't get beat deep. Mississippi State's going to take shots early, 
and they love to throw the ball down the middle of the field. Seam routes is what they love to do. Along with throwing the ball to the middle of the field, they love screen plays. They run a lot of tunnels, bubbles, halfback screens. Our secondary is going to have to keep everything in front of them and tackle well this week, or shit's going to spiral out of control and start real, really quick. But lastly, we know the keys to victory defensively at this point because we haven't capitalized on any of them the entire season. But the main key is limiting big plays getting out of third down situations, and getting our defense off the damn field. The past few games, I honestly feel like our defense is on the field for what seems like a quarter at a time. And sure, some of that could be attested to how quickly the offense is sometimes with their stagnant drives, but you get what I'm saying. Mississippi State's not afraid to go forward on fourth down like I talked about it earlier. And for how our defense is played, they definitely won't be discouraged. Our defense 100% has the capability to put together because we just showed it Saturday. We held the best team in the country, Alabama, to one yard and a quarter. One. Uno. When was the last time that happened Alabama or, in general, just the last time a hog defense did that to anyone? I don't know if we ever have, honestly. But I will say, I was right on this last week. I'll be right on it again this week. I think the Hogs are going to force a turnover Saturday. If that's the case, we have to capitalize. This is a game where we're going to find out who we really are as a team. This isn't the momentum we wanted heading into our first road game, but so be it. Cards were dealt how they are. We're 0-0 this week. Have to go 1-0 this week. So let's get the damn job done on Saturday. Mississippi State is not a better football team than us. It's going to take us playing bad for them to have a chance to win. As long as we don't stop ourselves with empty possessions, penalties, out-of-pocket turnovers, or giving up big plays, then we will win on Saturday. And yes, I said will. W-I-L-L. Let's get back in the freaking win column. I mean, what do you guys say? Back in the rankings. Shut all the doubters up. All righty. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Views from the Hill. I really, really appreciate all the love and support you guys have given the podcast. It means a lot to me. It's made this podcast journey a lot of fun. If you can, please leave it a good review on Spotify. I do think the Hogs have what it takes to win this weekend. I really do. We're only 3-2. and two. We've had a chance to win every game, and I really do think we can get the job done Saturday. If that's the case, we're headed back in the right direction. The ship is going the direction we all knew it would be going. We can still definitely finish the season 9-3, and 10-2, and 8-4 and four at the worst, in my opinion. Will the Hogs do it? Only time will tell. Next time I see you guys, hopefully the Hogs will be 4-2 and two heading into BYU.